0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 193 of the Conquering Columbus podcast, the only podcast that brings you all the incredible stories of the entrepreneurs and business leaders that are shaping our great city. And today on the show, we got the chance to talk with Mr. Rick Reichardt, the president of Reichhart Automotive Group. And Rick's got a lot of fun stories, and he's got a great story about his family business that he's kind of grown into and taken on. Today, they're doing a lot of great innovative things in the marketing and customer acquisition space, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode a lot. Josh and I definitely did, and uh, as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here
1: at Conquering Columbus, and that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting, positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org.
0: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org.
1: And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you
0: about our last sponsor, FMX.
1: FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress. Let's get the show on the road.
0: You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a
1: little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day.
0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. We're really excited today. We're getting the chance to talk with Rick Reichardt, and he's the president of Reichardt Automotive Group, a family-owned and operated business that was started in 1953 when the late Paul F. Reichardt bought a small Ford dealership in Canal Winchester. And today, Reichardt Automotive is one of the premier dealerships in central Ohio. We're really excited to have Rick on today to talk about how he's leading the team as president and how the Reichardt Automotive Group finds success in a competitive landscape Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Rick.
2: Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, guys.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to have you. And you know, typically where we like to start these conversations is just talk back at the beginning and early life and growing up in a family business. Any highlights along the way that kind of led you to where you are today?
2: You know, the highlights of the business as I was growing up were really few and far between. My uh, my grandfather, like you mentioned, he started the started the company in 1953. And being that uh, his generation and their work ethic, it was it was a lifestyle for him. And uh, my father grew up in a house across the street back when Route 33 was kind of a two-lane road, where uh, we still have that building at um, now we call it rabbit Customs, and we're still working on the old cars there, but doing it a little bit different. And you know he would he would work all day. He would he'd come home at night, have dinner with the family, talk about the work day and then head back to the shop to close it up at night and run the record to go pick up cars in the evening and stuff so um, when I finally had a you know kind of chance to talk to my dad about it later in life and say hey how come growing up you didn't pound me with all this stuff and everything he said you know because growing up I hated it Hmm. you know wanted my daddy come home and talk about dad and son stuff and sports and everything else in school and it wasn't it was business 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 so actually growing up I I wanted to know more and it was this curiosity inside me because father's on tv and then my mom's on tv and they become these local celebrity types and you know i couldn't even you know go into the football locker room as a freshman without people singing the songs and teasing me and it's like well what does he do like what what is this about and i try to ask him questions and he just would shun me off but we spent a lot of time together doing other things we spent weekends together racing go-karts riding motorcycles racing dirt bikes and we were into the same kind of hobbies and sports and then I truly did not understand what we did as far as a business goes. I understood we sold cars, but what does that mean? How does that happen? And until I actually got into the operational side of the business in 2001, I didn't even know up until that point that we secured financing and people made car payments. I thought they just wrote checks. Had no I had no idea how the business worked. So you know, there were lots of highlights for him in the 90s, number one Ford dealer in the country, the awards and the accolades, and the business growth was crazy. What that did for me as a teenager is create a big distraction and I could get away with anything. So I had a whole lot of fun while they were, they were building the business. And sure. and I still have, you know, I kind of still believe in having fun every, every day and everything that I do now. And, and if it's not enjoyable, if it's not, it's not passionate, it's hard to conquer it. It's hard to dominate whatever that industry, that business is.
1: So thinking back to the early days, you know, watching, watching your grandfather and your dad, were there times where they struggled and where you thought maybe it wasn't going to make it or was it kind of success the entire way?
2: You know, I know they tell me the s- stories of the struggles in the late 70s, you know, interest rates were in the teens, uh, the gas prices were through the roof, which is kind of what led to the transition from my grandfather to my dad and uncle. Uh, my grandmother had gotten sick and they wanted to get her some treatment and care in the warmer climate so they moved to Florida my dad was uh, attending Case Western in Cleveland as a biochemistry major looking to become an eye doctor and my you know grandpa said to him you know hey you've spent summers working here and stuff I got to go take care of your mom there's really not much business left anyways there's not a good car market so whatever you do is fine you know that kind of took it as a favor to my grandfather at 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 first and then as he started you know thinking there's got to be a better way to do this there really wasn't much scientific you know theory behind the business yet um inventory control sales process training and he actually created and brought a lot of what he learned from being a scientist and a chemist and from that from that um science background and brought it to the business front and then when my uncle joined him in i believe 1981 graduated from ohio state had a business degree and he came in and said okay i know how to put the business behind this scientific stuff that you're trying to do my dad will leave kind of the ends loose he's got great marketing theories he's going to try things but the tracking and reporting and the business analytics side was where my uncle stepped in to help him and they really had nowhere to go they were at the bottom and they thought you know we're going to try some stuff we're really going to throw out some crazy ideas they started requesting from Ford ordering hundreds of you know the cheapest shittiest cars that they sold and they did you know and and then just going on TV with these kind of crazy ads thinking we're going to take our last bit of money and buy these TV commercials and see what happens and sure enough people started showing up okay well we're going to order more cars do some more marketing and it just started growing and growing and growing and by 1986 87 came around they had built it up to be the number one car dealer in the country, and then within a couple years the number one Ford dealer. So during those times, nineteen eighty-seven, I was seven years old. So I don't I don't remember really before that of any of those long nights, those struggles, kind of how that how that thing was. I, I just remember it just getting bigger, the commercials were getting more often, the songs were getting more annoying, I was getting teased more, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. So <laughs> you know, no, I didn't I didn't really see them. Now I saw the struggle you know, when the recession came 12 years ago and they were trying to explain to me, this is kind of more of what business was like back when we started. So I got to my my first management role in 2010, was right in the middle of that. Actually, it was really 2006. It was um, used car manager at our Chevy store in Whitehall from 2005 and really to 2009. So I learned the management side of the business during the worst of the market. So it made it so when the market got good, the business became really easy for me.
0: And when you take over that, so did you always imagine yourself being part of the family business, or when did you get involved?
2: No, I actually didn't have any desire to. I always liked cars, liked the performance side. Cars are cool, trucks are cool, motorcycles are cool. Grew up liking those things. Um, I did some acting in high school, you know, had those crazy dreams as a teenager of maybe I'll make it to Hollywood one day. I was a big guy, I was 6'2", and uh, 300 pounds this year in high school, playing defensive tackle, thinking, you know, who knows? What if What if I get a call from Ohio State and what if something takes off? And so, of course, you realize quickly once you get out of high school, you haven't made it to Ohio State or a real college, had a chance to play at SMU in Dallas, Texas. It wasn't on a scholarship, it was a Division One school. So I went down there to visit and check it out, and I fell in love with the school and realized that the football program was. Horrendous, and they're still recovering from the death penalty, and even football players weren't looked at favorably at that school, anyways. My dad said, well, "If you like the school, it has got a good business school? Just go there and go to school. Don't worry about playing, playing, playing football." So I'm like, "Okay, well that dream's dead, but maybe, maybe Hollywood. Well, I'll just go to business school. I'll kind of maybe I'll major in marketing in the beginning and just kind of see where this thing goes." I didn't really know where I was going to go or what I was going to do. I came home in the summer of uh, my sophomore year, and you know. To go and ask the, I went ask my parents for some money, I want some spending money to go out in the summer. And my dad looks at me and says, well, "Why don't you go, sell some cars and make some money?" I'm sick of giving you money. I'm like, "Well, all right, that's fine if you'll if you'll let me." Because up until that point, he didn't want me to come to the business. He didn't want me to go in there and go to work, do some part time thing, kind of you know, not not really be truly committed mm-hmm. to the business and the and the uh, um, job. And I wasn't that structured of a kid at that point and. So I went in for the summer and then kind of realized quickly, like, okay, I can, I can figure this out. And I can sell enough cars in the summers of college that I can make enough money. I, I'll save it and I don't have to work when I go back to college. Mm-hmm. So I'd come home from the summers, sell a bunch of cars, go, go back. I still didn't, didn't love it yet. I was always thinking, you know, gosh, this is this big company now. There's all these layers. Like, am I really going to get a good good shot at it? you know, becoming somebody here. This is kind of my dad's thing. Do I want to do that? I'm weighing all my options. And then my dad says, hey, I found this school that I want you to consider taking a postgrad year at. It's called Northwood University. They have a Midland, Michigan campus, and they have a campus in West Palm Beach, Florida. But you can guess which one I picked. Not Michigan, obviously. So <laughs> they have a program in automotive marketing and management. They teach you how to run a car dealership by textbook. And I remember walking into that classroom, as a 22-year-old and kind of looking around the classroom at all these other, and they're really they're car dealer kids. And these were the ones who were actually going to school to want to be into the business. And through sitting and talking with them and listening to me answer questions, kind of seeing, feeling out my competition of what it would be in this industry, I realized quickly that if that was my competition, not to say I was trying to take the easy way, but there was, the conquering wasn't going to be hard against this group of kids so i'm like you know what if this is who i'm going to be competing against i'm i'm going to give this a run and i learned enough there that when i came back i just committed to go seven days a week work bell to bell my dad and uncle did a great job of making sure that i had learned every position mastered every position and did better than everyone else at my position before i could even consider getting promoted or moved up and i'm you know we're in a family business now and it's always a conversation of well golly, this family member just graduated college, where do you put them, how does this work? And they wanna you know, go right into management or they wanna kinda of not go through the sales process or maybe not go through the service department and work their way up. And the bottom line is you really can't master the business unless you've worked all those positions. And you truly understand what everyone underneath you goes through and what their, what their job entails. And so now when I can sit down and have a conversation with anybody at any level, they, they know that what I'm talking about isn't just something I read in a book. I did it. I've got the, I've got the work to back it up. You know, I kept my commission sheets from finance. I kept my you know, this and that, the other things. I can show people, like, yeah, I've done this. Let me help you.
1: Mm-hmm. So you wanted to make it to Hollywood. Now you're on Conquering Columbus, so congratulations. I almost, um, yeah. finally made it to where you were trying to go. That's it. Was good. So you're talking about, like, the recession a little bit and then climbing the ranks and learning all the different parts of the business, as you went through that experience and the things that stick out that really help you today in particular, whether it's learning how to manage, like you said, uh, at the margin when things are really tough yep. or what sticks out the most for the last 12, 15 years?
2: That, that's probably the biggest thing that when I was in that first management role was truly running it like survival mode, right? Your expenses were extremely lean, every, every dollar spent mattered and you, you really learned cost control and things in the most intense environment and so that um, we always want to keep that that mindset because we don't know when the next wave's coming it's a cyclical business it's a roller coaster it's which is one of the things I love about it I love the fact that anything could happen at any moment and others may not be prepared to deal with it they may lock up or freak out and I pride myself on being cool under pressure and knowing how to keep attacking no matter what
0: so From that point, you kind of move into the president. When did you take over as as president?
2: So um, about two years ago, my my, uh, I I have a cousin Jared who's my business partner. So um, he's co president also, Mm -hmm. and he he cut his teeth and worked his way through the service department. So when I was used car, when I ran the used car factory, two thousand twelve to fourteen, he was reconditioning manager in the service department, and kind of worked together at the same level, just on the opposite side. So now. He kind of over—he oversees all the uh, fixed ops and now the business-to-business side, which is really where a lot of the growth is happening, is in the fleet and commercial side of our business. And then I, I run the retail side, the, um, all the different retail companies, and marketing, obviously, and. New title as of last week was chief chief revenue officer. Okay. Also, I think that got announced on Thursday.
0: There you go, CRO. That's I,
2: a big role. I, you know, it's just I, I'd rather put just put custodian on my title. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to do every job, and when there's something dirty that nobody wants to handle, I'm down to go take out the trash. Sure. You know, sure. That's what it takes.
1: So when yeah. you look at the company as a whole right now, like what what do you think separates you from the other dealerships that are out there? And is it the culture internally? Is it the marketing tactics you guys use? What do you think makes you guys special?
2: So it's a combination of those two things and one more. And I'm a fan of, I mean, leadership training. Uh, the great, the great Peter, the great Peter Drucker once said, only two things make money in a company: innovation and marketing. So I've always been a student on innovation. What, what can we do? What's that? What's that next thing? I'm always watching consumer behavior. How do people want to car? How do they want to buy cars? How are they consuming vehicles? How are we using them? The marketing side, obviously, we try to keep the the branding strong, the top of mind awareness. And that's what if someone's not in the market, they see that side of it. And then now with the day of the Internet and digital and how specific and kind of sniper marketing you can do, um, if you do start searching and looking for a car, you're not going to be able to get rid of me on the Internet because it's more behavioral at that point and the retargeting and the predictive marketing. And so it's very, very scientific at that side. The the third piece, which we really brought into play eight years ago was focusing on the culture, focusing on our people. Our people are our number one asset. Uh, My grandpa used to say, you take care of your your employees, your customers, and your vendors in that order. And Henry Ford, the great Henry Ford said, you know, you can't can't have a happy customer without a happy employee. So uh, when I came in, actually it would have been 10 years ago, man, I'm showing my age, Ten years ago, I became the general sales manager of our what we call our import division. So, Hyundai, Kia, and Nissan, Mitsubishi. One of the things that really I had one of those epiphany moments when Nissan shared a service, shared a survey with me that they did called the rejector survey, which is when someone went online and did a, a build in price on a new on a new Nissan. They were given a choice of dealers of who they wanted to get a price quote from. And if we were the dealer that were closest to them, but they did not choose us, Nissan would ask them why. And the top two answers that were 67%, so two thirds of the responses were past experience or poor reputation. So before the age of the internet, when we were a high volume dealership in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was a cattle call. I mean, the way they ran that place, there was big volume, there's people parked on the street, everyone knew we had the biggest selection and you would get the lowest price. And they put them through this big sales process, but the customer service was not up to par. And we realized that quickly, that this company with number one on record and my, you know everyone loves us was actually, there were people we had told cars to in the past that they don't like us. And we got to figure out how to climb out of this hole. And that's when I realized I can't just go over and start browbeating salespeople going, you better be nicer to these customers That's not how it works. They have to be authentic. They have to truly enjoy the job that they're doing and love what they do, or that customer's never, never gonna feel that experience off of them. So we had to really kind of take a look at that and make a a decision then. And around that time, um, Ford had started a program called the Consumer Experience Movement that really had to do with employee culture. And there weren't a whole lot of Ford dealers that were gung-ho to sign up for this. When I heard about it, I'm like, we gotta do that. We can be one of the pilot dealers. And there was even um, a guy that was uh, kind of an accessory salesman for me that was a friend of mine that was a great salesman, but even more importantly, he was a great person with people. And at that point in time, my office was very accessible for anybody to walk in and find me. And so even though my job responsibility was only those four brands, if there was a, a upset customer from service or used cars or Ford or one of these other divisions, I'm the cat on TV. They're coming to find me to yell. And, I, and I'd get people walking the door, I, I, I want to talk to you. And this buddy of mine would come over and say, hey, would, would you mind talking to me for a minute? And he'd pull them in an office for 10 to 15 minutes, and you'd see him get up and walk out. And they would hug and smile and shake shake hands. And I remember I'd walk out and go, Is everything okay with them? Like, yeah, they're fine. He hmm. said, oh, yeah, did, did you have to give them anything? No. They really just wanted someone to hear their story. They just wanted someone to listen to. I'm like, wait a minute. Can you do that with employees? Can we start? So he's now our our. Uh, employee engagement officer and we almost run it I almost joke around like he's the if we had a um, you know, like the NFLPA, they have a Players Association there's a head of the NFLPA. he's kind of that now and employees can go to him and he knows he can come to me and say no there, there's things you need to know that we need to work on the we need to fix and I stay very open-minded with as much humility as I can to make sure that you know we truly are care about the quality of life of our employees it's not just what happens at work but, it, but home life, personal life, you have to have that balance. Um, I mean, we've done all kinds of things. You could write the stuff on paper about flex scheduling and hourly pay and all that stuff, but it really comes down to, are you authentically treating someone like you love them or not? Have you earned their trust correctly? Like Urban Meyer says, have you shared love? Have you shared your vision and mission? Because if not, you're not gonna be able to implement anything that works. And we follow that every day. They, they are our, our number one asset. So. Culture first one, marketing second, but I'm always gonna look at innovation every day and try to find out what that next great thing is and try to stay on the leading edge of where the industry's headed.
0: Hey there, Conquerors. We're gonna take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors here on the show.
1: Studio 301. Mike and I, we've been working with Studio 301 on our rebrand, doing our website, doing some new photography, working on some logo adjustments and just really positioning Conquering Columbus uh, in a more professional light and I can tell you Mike it's been the funnest experience and the easiest experience I've ever had working with any type of creative agency they come to the table with all kinds of awesome ideas that we're really excited about and everything that we've come up with so far and that we're about to put out is is awesome I'm super excited about it
0: yeah I, I haven't been more excited about pretty much anything since we've done the podcast like I really enjoyed talking to all our guests but this rebrand is just painted in a whole new light and you know Kyle and his team have been a pleasure to work with they've gone out of their way to go above and beyond to make this thing really special. So I think we're really excited to release this rebrand to everybody out there listening and uh, I hope you guys love it as much as we do.
1: And one of the best things is the rebrand not only positions Conquering Columbus as a whole, but all of our guests and more of a uh, professional and clean and formalized look that you know they deserve we have super super high quality amazing people on here and i think that this is going to represent them really well so it's been great so thanks again to studio 301 yeah if you guys want to learn more about studio
0: 301 go check out the links down in the show notes help support kyle and local teams here in columbus and uh, thanks so much for tuning in let's get back to the interview
1: what does innovation look like to you guys now i mean with so much changing with the ev market blowing up like. How are you innovating?
2: So the EV, you know, we, we, we wanted to be an early adopter of all the electric vehicle uh, craze that's um, coming. You know, there's there's so many neat product that are coming out. Tesla has been the first to market with the first kind of cool electric car that has style and performance. And um, so now all the big manufacturers are getting ready to launch what their answer is to what Tesla has done. So I'm, I'm excited to watch this battle that's about to go down these next couple of years. Nissan was one of the first of our brands with the Leaf a few years ago. Uh, we started installing charging stations. Whenever we, we, no, we've got um, 14 charging stations at the Mega Mall now. Just installed two weeks ago the first motorcycle charging station at the Harley-Davidson dealership in Franklinton to get the live wire that will be coming next next month. I'm really excited about that. I've gotten to ride that. I've gotten to ride that bike once, and it, it's the fastest, most powerful motorcycle I've ever ridden. So. The EV stuff was part of it, the more is the consumer behavior side. So, you know, Amazonification, right? Amazon's taken over the world and they've made sure that everyone understands how important their time is, how important convenience is, speed, quality, all of those factors that they brought to the table. Well, let's be honest, that's not the car business, right? It's this drawn out process. You're, you are you come for an average of 3.9 hours and wait, why, why do I have to talk to this guy next? And why is there so much paperwork? And can I just buy the car, right? So I, I never enjoyed putting people through that. And, and trying to figure out how we could speed that process up really uh, led to a partnership that I made two and a half years ago with a company called AutoFi out of um, Palo Alto, California. And AutoFi together, uh, as their dealer partner, we created Express, Express Checkout. So now we have the capability of completing um, an entire transaction on online. We could sit here right now, you could pull a car up, put all your info in, submit the credit app, it'll submit to the banks, it'll show you your payment options, you choose and accept, and then you literally come to the dealership to celebrate taking delivery. It takes 45 minutes. And so we're finding ways to make it to make it easier. And one of the things I found through the, the implementation was that, you know, at least I thought right from the beginning, well, we need to be able to offer this and then, and then deliver cars, right? You know, pe- people are gonna want us to bring the car to their house. They don't even wanna come here. But what I found out is that that's not, the, that's not the truth at all, that those that completed the process, we would pick up the phone and call them and say, congratulations on your purchase. Would you like us to bring the vehicle to you or would you like to come to the dealership? It'll take about 45 minutes, so everybody taking delivery. And 99% of the responses were, oh, yeah, if it's if I'm only coming for 45 minutes, I would love to come there. Hmm. It's the, I don't like going and not knowing how long I'm going to be there for. I don't know if I need to tell somebody else to start dinner because it's noon and I may not be home till 7 o'clock. And that's, that's the way it was in the past. So to find those speed and convenience options is um, – something we're constantly looking at and measuring speed at every every customer touch
0: point or pain point, if you really want to call it that. So jumping from there, I guess, you know, if innovation's a goal, what are some of the challenges you guys are seeing in the market today? I mean, with customers bringing more information to the table than everyone buying a car, I'm sure there's things going on with that and the internet, but what are some of the things you guys are focused on in terms of challenges that you're having? Um,
2: you know, I can't pinpoint and answer what any specific challenge is today. I mean, been, we, we've been dealing with compressed profit margins for 10 years now. The internet creates an efficient market. Everyone knows what the cost of everything is. You know, so it makes it makes it more difficult to take a new car customer who knows exactly what we paid for it and, you know, try to tell them, no, you have to pay more than that. So the pricing of new cars has become extremely Aggressive. I mean, internet price has really become the starting point and there's not much meat left on that that bone anyways. So we knew we had to expand in used cars, there's still an opportunity there. Now we have disruptors coming into the used car world, Carvana and such that want to try to do what we do only a little better. We've had had CarMax in the Columbus market for a while. Um, This is one of the markets where those CarMax stores didn't grow to the level that they thought they would. Because I made a point just to make sure to punch them right back in the face and <laughs> and fight one on one with them. So I'm not a big fan of the big nationals and the public companies. Columbus has multiple wonderful family owned dealerships and and we get along. I'm friends with a lot of them and you know we kind of want everyone in Central Ohio to keep doing business with these good local local family businesses so we, we we try to run out the big nationals as much as we can in fact we have some friends on the west side of columbus that just bought a, quite quite a few franchises off of the sonic corporation which is a national publicly traded blah 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 they couldn't make it in columbus this is a very competitive market and there are some strong dealers in this market so they're like oh that's not the place we want to be they closed up shop and ran out of town so The other challenge is, okay, so if the business model's changed, if just running a new car-specific dealership is not going to be the way to grow for the future, what other areas? We mentioned the used cars. That fleet and commercial side is where we have really found a niche the past couple years. In fact, last year, for the first time ever, we sold more F-series pickup trucks to companies than we did to private individuals, and that just... Just to show the I mean the growth of Columbus there's construction look at where we're sitting now there's just construction happening everywhere and being able to service those commercial vehicles has become um, necessity that uh, has allowed us to invest in an expansion we're getting ready to open a new building that's 113 thousand square feet dedicated just to fleet and commercial sales and service there's a line out the door that are waiting to get their trucks buses, police cars municipalities whatever you want you know uber lyft other different driver network services they're all going fleets now and so we we want to be there to play in that space in fact we want to innovate we're going to put in the first autonomous service door what that means i don't even know yet but there's other people are saying well doesn't that doesn't that scare the car dealer world you know autonomy comes and connected cars and the manufacturers are getting so much more involved and you can order online now and bypass the dealer and it's yeah, if you want to let that affect you, if not, figure out while they're doing those moves what we have to counter with and be prepared with something else. So um, we try to have the mindset of grow, expand, and diversify every day. And if it involves mobility, transportation, moving moving people or things, we've got experience in it. And if I can sell it, service it, create software for it, manage by, by service, mobile service, fleet service, um, we're, we're, we're exploring every single option that, that we can to position ourselves so that we can have another 68 years of world-class service.
1: There's clearly a strong vision on the future. What does the team look like today and what do you see it growing to over the next three to five years?
2: I think the next three to five years, you're gonna see vehicle usage change. There's there's gonna be so many more multimodal transportation routes that the, that the primary vehicle may not need to be that do everything vehicle of the of the past where you you know gotta have that full size four-door SUV well with the way the world's moving with if you look at bird and lime scooters flying around downtown Columbus now where were those a few years ago? Well that's a new mode of transportation as traffic is more congested we were close with the smart smart city folks who were doing an amazing job data research figuring out what the future of mobility looks like. I love sitting at that table because now I get to listen to where they think it's headed the next, next three to five years. And we can kind of cater to where we think it's going also. Um, so I, I see a time where, you know, there's more car sharing. People are going to maybe have multiple signers where you can share a vehicle amongst a couple families. Um, and that's the biggest thing that I think is going to remain a constant is that family vehicle. I have three kids. I look at what my wife drives and what her vehicle looks like, and there's basically an apartment in the back of all the kids, everything they need, and these three car seats in the middle. And I'm thinking, there's no way she's going to be able to, you know, use six different modes of transportation to get where she's going throughout the day. There's a certain niche for every little piece there, so you know the family vehicles um, really isn't 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 going to change, and and so. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons we we looked into the motorcycle brands, can we diversify? Can we, you know heck, if you've got a Ford F-150 in your garage, you probably want a Harley Davidson next to it. I, I know I do. That's that's where getting into more of the lifestyle side, we opened a custom shop. So if new car margin compression is there, the average, what we used to make selling a Mustang GT was a pretty good profit car to sell. Now you can find out and we're making the same as we would on a Hyundai Elantra. So what do we do? We open a custom shop. So now you can take that car down to our original Ford store, well, actually, the second location Ford store, and supercharge it, change the wheels, tires, customize it to make it your own and make it, make it unique. The car itself is an evil necessity to get from point A to point B. When it's time to make it your own, all of a sudden people are more open to okay, let's get let's get creative and let's spend a little money here. I want to make my car, my truck, my bike, cool and different. So,
0: and speaking of those custom shops, I mean we've seen one of them. Ourselves. Kyle Snyder was an old team yeah. of ours from wrestling, and he yeah. had a pretty, uh, pretty incredible Ford that uh, you guys put together. I mean, were you involved in that at all? Did you get involved with the custom side? Sure, you, absolutely.
2: Yeah. I've actually, I personally designed both of Kyle's trucks. Oh no kidding! Um, I mean, he, he's an incredible person. I mean, I'm probably having probably one on the, on the top of my list of just stand-up good people I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. I had the pleasure of being introduced to him. Uh, my uncle was friends with uh, Coach uh, Ryan, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, through that, I've, Kyle was towards the end of his amateur status. He was just kind of not even asking for a lot. I mean, he's just a down-to-earth guy and just wanted to see if there was something there. Maybe he could have a truck to drive. So we went and sat down, had lunch with him and his brother, and just, man, these guys are just all American as they get. We're talking about our families, and, and uh, there was no contract. It was a lot like our relationship with the Lorimers putting on the Arnold Sports Festival. It was a handshake 26 years ago that still stands true to this day. And the deal with Kyle was the same thing. We never had um, a contract. There was no influencer type thing. I didn't really know what that was then. We said, "Yeah, I'll kind of build this truck up for us." And then, could you do us a favor? Whenever you're using the truck, or there's something fun you got going on with it, just post something on social media for us. And he had a lot of fun doing that. And he would turn the truck into like uh, he was doing box jumps on the bed of it one day. And he would and he would and he would push it up and down the alley and just. Getting that little bit of the Riker T-shirt, and it was more than enough to me to go, "Wow, that was completely worth that partnership." And how cool is it that you know we got we got, we got Kyle to do all this stuff, and um, and yeah, as he was getting you know getting his uh, blue and red and gold Olympic shoes ready and stuff, I'm like, "Ooh, that sparked a creative thing. I got to paint some wheels to match that." I remember calling him, going, "Hey, you care if I get kind of flashy with this one?" And mm-hmm. yeah, okay, so kind of went. And then when the next one came, I said. You want me to tone it down, that'd be kind of nice. So I did a (laughs) black-on-black kind of tonal look where, you know, I didn't want him to look like he was driving around in a clown car either, getting unnecessary attention. Um, But it was a a lot of fun working with him.
1: So the dealership's been in the family for a long time. Do you foresee it continuing to stay in the family for the future?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, um, in fact, so my grandfather, Paul Sr., um, I'm technically Paul III, and I was ne- i was never keen on Paul the Fourth. Like, who, who does that, right? Like, what's? us just put a fourth on you? Right, really. So, um, I wasn't going to. Actually, my wife and I had decided on a different boy name, and we don't find out what the sex of our kids are, right? We want to wait until they're born. I love the surprise. Don't have a whole lot of big surprises left in life, so that's 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 one that I really hold on to. And um, he was our second child, and he was and he was due to be born towards the end of April in 2016. And I remember uh, going, wait a minute, End of 20, at the end of April, when, when was my grandpa's birthday? Oh, it was April 27th, 1917, which is also April Is also 427, mm-hmm. which is the greatest engine ever built. That's Ford's highest horsepower drag engine ever was the Ford. Anyways, so <laughs> I'm really keen on that. That's an important number to me. And um, when not you know it, on April 27th of 2016, my son's born. 99 years to the day later, so he is Paul. He's Paul fourth. And uh, I guarantee you he's at home with a truck in his hand now. So the future looks strong and um, they can do whatever they want, obviously. But as long as there's a family member that's interested, invested, and has the capability, we'd love to keep it in the family name as long as we can. In fact, that's my only requirement from the shareholders. My own dad and uncle are the two owners. The only really rule that they give us is they want long-term sustainability. They want that Riker Ford name to still to still be going strong as long as we can keep it alive. So that's the goal.
0: Absolutely. And so, you know, a lot of our listeners, young professionals, some aspiring entrepreneurs, business leaders, do you have any advice for people out there listening?
2: Sure. Let me me hit you with a few. Number one, seek knowledge. No one else is going to teach you. Go seek knowledge. You want to learn something, go find the information, go read. Read a lot. I love to read. I became, um, actually, now I'm hooked on books on tape. I was doing Audible for a while, and then I found the Blinkist app, and now I'm listening to 15 to 18-minute cliff notes summaries on business books and i'm listening to one a day go seek knowledge and learn don't be afraid to step out your comfort zone and try new things i know you guys are big on that nothing grows in its comfort zone right you got to put yourself in this vulnerable situation and 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 stay on it man persistence so many people give up way too early keep going what you're doing know whatever those three to four daily actions are you have to do every day to obtain your goal and it might be a 10-year goal right you want to be a millionaire in 10 years well what do you need to do tomorrow what two or three things tomorrow do you need to do to keep moving towards that and do those action items every day and it won't take 10 years to reach your goal it happens fast but you got to do them daily and that's where consistency of schedule on big on and be open to listening to opportunities and and saying yes to things i'm 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 not i'm not I know a lot of people are gonna to listen to this and I'm making myself vulnerable now by just saying this stuff. Somebody, like, oh that's stupid what he's saying. That's all right. As one person listens and picks up one thing that can help them achieve greatness, I love to help other people. I like to share any 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 time I can, anything I know, I love to give away as free as I can. And it comes back to me tenfold.
0: Absolutely, Rick. And I think uh, it's a great place to pivot towards our last question of the show. You mentioned it it's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life? So today? the
2: first thing that pops in my head is well, I, I will literally train myself in uncomfortable situations to learn comf- to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways I do that is, is riding a motorcycle and going on long bike trips. And the weather might be crappy, you know there's rain coming down, it's getting cold, you've been sitting on a seat for 400 miles, butt's numb, it's uncomfortable as it can be, you just want to pull off, you just want to stop riding, and you keep pushing through and you learn how to get your body and your mind in a way to just accept the fact that you feel miserable at that moment but you got to keep going. And no matter what, you got 50 or 100 more miles to go and that's just the way it is. And so that would be, that would be the thing that sticks out biggest in my, in my mind and of course, um, if you want to be uncomfortable, get into a sales job. Hmm. There's nothing more uncomfortable than having to get in front of new faces all day long, keeping the smile on the face, you know, and, and really learning how people operate and, and, and connecting with people. And that's, you know, it's a people-based world. If you don't know how to have quality relationships with people,
0: it's really hard to move forward. Well, Rick, that's a great answer. We appreciate you so much. You taking There's two time. answers. That's two answers. That's what yeah, you get got... out of me. You're we always going to get more than you asked for. <laughs> well, we got, we got plenty. I think our listeners will really enjoy this episode. But thanks so much for telling your story and the story of Right Automotive. It was awesome. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yep. Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you want to learn more about Right Automotive or Rick, check out all the links down in the show notes and uh if you're looking for a custom car go check it out uh you can find kyle's on his instagram so thanks so much for tuning in we'll talk to you next week hey conquerors that's it for the episode today hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot if you did make sure to leave a like share us on facebook with your friends we really appreciate all your support and every time you share our podcast or leave a review on itunes it really does help us out Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible
1: sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org.
0: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to
1: kick it back to Josh to tell you
0: about our last sponsor, FMX.
1: FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com.
0: You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning. But I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done.
1: Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like.